Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of the Gravescast. Unfortunately, we're not really a Friday the 13th type thing here, but we'll uh, make do anyways. So uh, today on the Gravescast, I am joined by Emily McKenzie. She is a microbiology major, a program coordinator at a STEM camp, and maybe soon to be a ramen hair model. I mean, honestly, a ramen I th- hair yeah, model? I think you're just Are waiting you on that cup of noodle sponsorship. <laughs> I don't want my hair to be sold for 25 cents at Walmart, man. I feel like I deserve better than that, like a Sobeys or something. <laughs> Excuse me. Didn't you cosplay as a uh, cup of noodles or something the one time? I absolutely did not do that. When uh, were do you, you remember thinking Twin of that? Day? <laughs> Twin Day? No. I- oh, yeah. did I really? <laughs> yeah, you brought in a <laughs> pack of ramen. <laughs> God, that was so smart of me. I do it again. Hey, you know I what? do it again. You might have a future in that. I think you were supposed to be my twin, and then you had another. I think you twinned with Michael instead. Yeah, sorry. Wow, it's tri- fine. What, I have it, me and my ramen. Day? It's fine. It's hey. fine. I'm also honored to be here on lucky number thirteen. That's exciting. Well, hopefully it spells uh, some good shit, and not you know a horrific podcast, but. I think... Uh, wow. You, wow. Is that what you think of me? You know what? I don't know what I think of you ever since you made me watch the Bo Burnham special there. What do you mean? You know what? Oh, man. I, so, if you guys are unfamiliar, Bo Burnham just came out with a... Yeah, in 2021, he came out with this uh, special called Inside. It's kind of like a uh, musical comedy where I guess he... Is it kind of a recap of his COVID experience? Um, in a way, yes. I think he makes light of the fact that he was stuck inside for most of it. Um, I don't know if he lives with anybody. I I assume not, if he did this entire thing by himself. But, yeah, I I suppose it's kind of a recap of his mental state during COVID and just kind of, as well as his, you know, his usual stuff. If anybody has ever listened to Bo Burnham, you know that he's, like, he is a musician and he does his comedy mostly through song so yeah so why out of everything that you could have recommended why did you recommend uh the special for us to talk about oh well there's a couple of reasons first and foremost i i mean i've been a fan of bo burnham since 2015 maybe even earlier maybe 2013 so he's got a couple of specials out um so whenever i can you know spread the bo burnham love is whenever I have an opportunity to do so, it'd be kind of cool to do. Um, I feel like it's just, it's also, from what I understand, I know that, Nick, I know you're not on the TikToks, but it's <laughs> also pretty popular on TikTok. It's kind of become something of a trend in the form of his songs. Um, and it also just, I feel, makes light of a lot of, very difficult topics to talk about um i think bo burnham does that quite nicely is that he tackles a lot of the major issues that potentially some of us have been dealing with during covid depression uh anxiety panic attacks things like that but he makes he almost makes light of it um and i can appreciate the comedic aspect of how quite frankly how shitty the last year has gone for some of us so um I'm wait. What did you think of it? This is I've I have not heard Nick's opinions yet, so I'm quite excited to hear about what you thought of it. I I started it. Um, 
I watched the entire thing, maybe save for the last couple minutes. Uh, turned more into a background type thing. Uh, it, I liked it in some ways. Uh, I thought the message was good. He hit on quite a few different topics. I mean, it wasn't just... I thought it would go in what? and like every... Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask what you thought the message was. Um, I don't think that he had one clear message. I think, if anything, there's multiple messages. And really, it was just kind of unraveling and deconstructing where we're currently at in society, right? Because I feel like he touched on, obviously, you had the anti-suicide type stuff. He touched on, like, the wild west of the internet in some ways. And just kind of how we've become so fixated on certain things in our society, like, you know, Instagram and, you know, video game streaming and stuff like that, right? So I don't think there was one overall clear message. I think he was parodying quite a bit, and that's probably why you know I I think a lot of people liked it because I feel like anyone could relate to it at least in one way, right? Like he. I agree. Yeah. Like there's at least even if it's not in the mental illness aspect, even if it's something that you can sympathize with more than you can empathize with, I feel like even just some of the. Like, some of the stupider songs, like, Sexting comes to mind. Like, that's just kind of a funny song, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of something that's, like, stupid. Whereas there's some heavier topics, like, um... I mean, a few that come to mind. The first one that comes to mind is How the World Works. The one with the sock yeah, oh, on gosh. his hand. <laughs> uh, that one is quite... You know, it, it, I, I find it comedic in how it starts off very light very fluffy like oh everybody has a job in the world and every organism contributes in some way yeah and then to have almost like a sock come on and be like yeah the world's kind of fucked <laughs> like well how did you, i thought it was kind of funny how did you perceive the i this sounds super deep for no good reason but how did you perceive the relationship between the sock and bow I figured it was going to be something that along the lines of what it actually was, in which it was the sock is trying to raise awareness, but at the end of the day, like, there's a a very clear person or group of people, I guess in a societal sense, in power, that you can only do so much. And I've been thinking about this recently a lot, is that I think that there are a lot of people who are looking at the issues with society right now. Like, for example, Black Lives Matter. I think a lot of people support it, which I think is fantastic. Um, But I think there's also a finite amount of power that the people actually have um, in the sense of how they can change things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be trying, and I'm not saying that the collective effort won't do anything at all, but the people in power, a.k.a. Bo in this sense, are the ones who are truly the decision makers. Yeah, no, I definitely support that. I think, if anything, my interpretation of it was the sock pocket... The sock puppet was actually like a minority figure. Because you did see, like, Bo Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, I'm trying to improve myself, like, you know, start to understand the culture, and then the sock was like... Oh, really, that's just an aspect of self-actualization. Like, this is so totally selfish. And then he was like, yeah, shut the fuck up, sock puppet. Like, I'm doing this for you. If you 
want me to take this away from you i will so you know kind of like bow down to me and shit like that right interesting i think okay i still can't find a deeper meaning in this but the part where Bo is just like like yes sir and makes the socks say you did you know which part i'm talking about yeah it was right at the end yeah and it was like are you gonna behave yourself and the sock is like yes and then Bo says yes what and then basically forces the sock to be like yes sir it was very strangely sexual and it made me it was just kind of out of nowhere so i don't know if there's a deeper meaning to that part in particular but it just kind of makes me laugh like what is that i felt like it still went down that minority route right like it it felt like the sock wanted to kind of express itself kind of protest the inequalities and stuff but bo was like no you know what say you, you bow down to me like i control how mm-hmm. much you know shame or how much like insecurity or how much you protest like stuff like that like even it seemed like the sock was in like a system of power and they were trying to do something but you know Bo was in that complete opposite realm and it's like okay you're only doing what i'm telling you to like right i see well i mean i don't know though because i do feel like there is some independence between what the quote-unquote people would do so if we're talking about a minority group for example represented by the sock i feel like there is some independence from the people in power um but i do agree that it is difficult to break the ultimate system which has obviously been in place for decades and and centuries um but it's Oh, go for it. Consider it like this. I think the best way of representing it is like, you have the right to protest. So that's inherent, like, at least here in North America. But like, when you watch some of these protest videos, you see that, hey, you know, they have the right to protest, they're going out there. But they're getting shot by the cops with, you know, either real guns oh, or for sure. uh, like rubber rounds or whatever. So sure. in a way that felt like the sock puppet because the sock puppet is saying this, this, this. And hey, he has the right to free speech. But then Bo's like, you know, we're shutting this down. Like you've spoken way too right. much. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. But I mean, um, you know, it could be a metaphor for like, you know, daddy relationships nowadays and whatever. Oh, man. That's what I was down. thinking. <laughs> it was kind of strangely sexual <laughs> it was just like i don't know out of nowhere um in like a very happy-go-lucky song and i guess that that's the whole point of the song of itself is that like it's very happy and it's very everything's fine but then if you take a deeper look at the song and you actually start listening to things that the song is saying that there's actually some really deep shit that you can see in the song um which is kind of covered or masked in a sense by the like happy melody and the yeah. harmonies, which I feel also just kind of adds a complicated layer to it. Yeah, well, if anything, I think it's uh, good that like it's going through Bo Burnham, right? Because then you know kind of what lens to approach it with. Like, do you remember the song Barbie Girl? I do. The what re- do you mean? That's my all-time favorite song ever. Have you listened I'm to kidding. the lyrics? That is totally like sexist which part demeaning the entire thing like you hear the lyrics it's like oh dress me up you can play with me as long as you tell me that i'm yours right cute romantic modern day romance everybody hell yeah i guess so eh what do you make of the uh anti-suicide scene like where bo like bo was kind of projected onto his own shirt 
Which one? The one... That was where he's like, you know, if I had the option to, like, stay dead for, like, 18 months, I would. Oh, I see. I... I, again, I feel like he does a good job of making light of a very heavy topic. Yeah. Um, I feel like he does it well, and you can... In, in a very dark, very twisted way, you can tell that he means it, which is quite depressing in and of itself, and especially combined with the special as a whole, is that you can kind of see his steady decline through COVID. Yeah. Um, in th- like in subtle things like um, how you can see his beard growing out and his hair growing out. Um, I feel like that scene in particular was... As I mentioned, he was he, it was good at making a heavy topic a little bit lighter, but also having that, um, I suppose, it's not a positive message, but I, I suppose the message behind it being obviously anti-suicidal. Um, but overall, yeah, I, it's, it was, it was sad. The whole, like, that scene and the scene that i'm thinking of that i also just felt really sad about was the twitch scene where Uh he was like a streamer and he was playing as himself and the only options were to cry to move around to bang a keyboard and then go to sleep like (laughs) it's so like it's so sad when you think about it but it's so light that you can't help but to chuckle at it you know yeah and i I think it gives you a different perspective right because you, you can certainly understand the irony in it and just, you know, the, the message that's being conveyed. It, yeah, like, like you said before, like a lot of the songs are very, uh, you know, have a nice harmony to them and everything. But when you look inside to the lyrics, it's like, oh my gosh, that's just heavy, right? Yeah. And I don't think I realized it the first time. So I've really? been listening to the soundtrack for about a month now like it's just i know most of the lyrics to most of the songs now i think i've only watched the special once over um but that being said the first time i watched it and the first time because i don't i don't think i was paying attention as much attention to the lyrics but i didn't really clock just how depressing it was until I went back and I started listening to some of the later songs. Um, just because, again, like the overarching, the entire comedy itself is that he does a great job with the lighting. He does a great job with um, keeping, well, per, for me personally, it kept me engaged the whole time. And then afterwards, it was when I was reflecting on it and re-listening to the songs that I was like, oh, yeah, this is actually really, really sad. <laughs> like, yeah. And in that, I mean, he kind of disclosed, in a way, I felt like he kind of disclosed his coping style. I mean... In comedy? Yeah, just through comedy, right? And I mean, just kind of some of the ways he got through the pandemic. And kind of, like we talked about before, like just, I guess, rationalizing your negative experiences through humor, right? Which a lot of people do use as a coping style. Is that something you kind of do yourself? Like, I feel like a lot of people can, you know, go into the movie, think, and, you know, see what he does, and then kind of compare themselves to it, right? I don't know if you did that at all. Um, 
I mean, yeah, my, like, one of my main coping mechanisms is it's just, it's easier to laugh than to cry, especially when you're in a social setting, I feel, is that it's kind of easy to, like, hide your true feelings behind a joke. Maybe not to the extent of Bo Burnham in, in the form of, like, full stand-up comedy, yeah. but just kind of, like, little, oh, haha, trauma jokes, like, they're very common now, and it's just kind of a thing that's just integrated perhaps not in my everyday life but just if i'm coping or if i'm talking about stressful situation it's just easier to be like yeah like i'm super stressed right now instead of being like oh i'm a little bit overwhelmed and stuff it's just it's just easier to keep for me at least and i don't know if this is for everybody else but for me it's easier to keep not a facade up but a kind of a comedic attitude towards the whole thing because it's yeah. easier to laugh at yourself rather than to take like to I think that you should be taking a look at yourself but it's in an everyday life when you don't want to you know cry in public or think about this stuff in public and you're talking to somebody about it it's comedy is a very easy defense mechanism to use so do you feel like it's beneficial then because I know you said like you don't know how common it is but I've like from what I've seen just I guess in the general digital sphere and even in real life self-deprecational humor has become it seems like one of the most common defense mechanisms for anyone <laughs> it is I feel it can't like provided that you know how you genuinely feel and know it, it's I feel it can get dangerous when that's all you do and you don't take a hard look and see perhaps what the actual issues are and that's easy for somebody to say when they're you know it's it's easy for somebody to say just be like oh just take a look at your problems it's obviously not that easy it's, easy. it's easier said than done but to consistently mask it with humor I feel is not the most effective method in dealing with your problems. Sometimes it's all you can do at the moment because there's just, there's so much stuff that you're dealing with it. Like I know I've had a point of time in my life where I literally didn't have time to cry and be sad and stressed about things. So I would integrate it into my weekly schedule. Really? And so I would like set a time of the day to so i'm obviously a student i would for example if i knew i got a bad midterm grade i would purposely not look at that grade until i had time to process it and be sad about it so so in a way like, kind of staggering using, your emotions right yeah which is obviously not the greatest thing <laughs> in the world um but for what was going on because at that time I had all I was also taking you know as, as a science student I take a lot of labs I was taking lectures labs I was working two jobs I was volunteering and I was also looking for a full-time job for the summer yeah. and so all of that combined was just like my schedule was so overwhelmed and hectic that I just quite frankly couldn't deal with my emotions at that time and humor I find is an easy way to potentially talk about it but also to deal with it for at least 
temporary period of time. It seems like a good, uh, I guess, maintenance factor is probably the best way I'd put it. I think it's interesting to hear that you almost... I, I don't know if I've ever heard someone who schedules out their mental health. I mean, that's... It doesn't even seem like a bad thing in some yeah. ways, right? Like, <laughs> it's just... Um, I'm just trying to imagine right now, like, 4 p.m., you know, cry, like, 8 p.m., look at life, like... <laughs> look, it just, it honestly, it sounds silly, but, like, that's just what I had to do, just because at that point in time, there was just so much going on that I knew that if I started crying or if I started having symptoms of anxiety at that at that specific hour, is that I wouldn't get anything else done. So I would just kind of wait for it and just kind of push it to the back of my mind until I had time to not do anything. And sometimes that would be for like three, four days at a time. Wow. Yeah. I I, I think that takes more effort than actually... No, I might be... I'm totally wrong on this. I think it comes down to scenario. No, I feel like you're incredibly correct in a sense is that... The stress of me worrying about it, just over time, very, like just a little bit of worry over time for three, four days was probably more effort than just dealing with it at the point in time. But for me, it was easier. Um, and I'm not recommending this strategy by <laughs> any means. <laughs> Please just like, it's just, I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's just, it, it was, it, it was just what I had to do. And I'm kind of worried going into next semester um, in which I am, again, taking lectures, taking labs, um, writing a thesis in which I'm working three jobs now. Wow. Um, I'm kind of worried that I'm going to get back into that mindset. That being said, I'm aware of it and I know I feel I'm better equipped to deal with my emotions and how I'm going to regulate those, but it's just kind of the anticipation of that as well that I'm kind of nervous about. Well, I, th- I think the um, anticipation and having that self-awareness to know how you cope with things is probably like the first step, right? Or even like the <laughs> midway point. It, yeah, it is. And I think that a lot of university students in particular can uh, empathize with this. It's just, I am currently not taking a full course load right now. I'm taking a course and working Um, but I will be going back to full courses in the fall and I already know, and I know that you and I, Nick, have very different, um, approaches to university, but I tend to work myself to the bone and have that like dreaded burnout and I can feel myself going back to that. And it's pretty unavoidable just because of my workload, but it's just something that I'm not, looking forward to at all well i i just i think you touched on it right there saying that we had different approaches i think with me my coping style ends up being more of i guess minimalization like i've never tied my well-being or you know uh accomplishments to school really so a lot of the school related stress doesn't fully exist i tend to look at it as like okay What's the worst thing that's going to happen? And in that case, it's like, okay, I failed this test. Maybe I get like, I had one time where I got 32% on midterm. I completely bought nice. it. I, it was worth 15%. And even though I was stressed out for a bit, it was like, okay, what's the worst thing that happens? Okay, I get a lower grade. 
maybe I'll get like a 60, but you still pass the class. And really worst case scenario at all times is I fail the class and I have to take it again. What does that do to me? It takes $700 out of my life. So it was just never worth stressing out about, right? Interesting. Because I logically, I can also follow that path. But the issue is, is that like, the idea of failing a course is just terrifying. So that in and of itself makes me worry more. Well, it's which not, is kind of interesting. It's not something that is like a one thing fits all because when it comes to we talked about this on a couple podcasts ago like health anxiety i also attribute this type of thinking like coping mechanism to that so when it's worst case scenario for you know having a cough or something it's like oh i've got throat cancer i got lung cancer and that leads to a ridiculous amount of anxiety like there there's no rationalizing your health right so I think in some yeah. cases it works well, but, you know, in other cases, I think, you know, I definitely have to come up with another coping strategy, which there's a lot out there, but I don't think I've really uh, educated myself enough in that type of thing. So have you ever yourself used humor as a coping mechanism? Um, humor as a coping mechanism? I don't know. I try and use humor in like my everyday life. Just, I don't know. I, I, it depends on what sure. you consider coping, right? Because, you know, a lot like a lot of the jokes, like I'll, I'll make jokes on a lot of topics, like, you know, have something where it's like, oh, well, you know, at least we're not getting paid 25 cents an hour, like, you know, if you go to another country. And when you take in the reality of that, like just the poor working conditions and stuff like that, there's nothing funny about it, but it becomes rationalized through the humor, right? So... I guess if it comes right. down to coping with, you know, how the world is, I guess in some way my entire personality reflects that. But I can't, no, I can't really think of a lot of scenarios where I've used it as a coping mechanism. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I was, it's, in a societal sense, it's, again, I feel like it's easier and it kind of ties back to, yeah, it really sucks and it's a systematic thing and i feel like a lot of people are at a loss as to how they can help and so they're just kind of stuck so i think i mean i feel like going back to bo burnham he also talks about this is that like i think he there's one lyric in particular that he has where he says the say you say the whole world's ending honey it already did and it's just kind of like you know we live in this like arguably depressing world I think but, it's I think it's eye opening, but on the other hand, I think that it's a complete overreaction. To what? I have noticed, like in myself, I've noticed in others for a while. It's like you know, I've I've been a huge like you know anti-social media person in some regards, and I find myself making so many generalizations of like social media is the problem, the world's going to shit, like. But at what point do we not think that the world's going to shit? Like, if, if at all times we think the world's going to shit, then doesn't that just mean we live in a shitty neutral world? What makes it neutral? If all we talk about is how shitty the world is, then isn't that the baseline? Rather than you think you live in a happy world, and then on occasion you mention how shitty it is. That would make the default like a happy world, but considering we all talk about how the world is so shitty, then technically isn't the world shitty by default, if that's the only thing we say about it? 
I mean, potentially, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I just think we, I think we have a tendency to, you know, just kind of speak up about, you know, all these different things and almost say like, you know, it, it's almost like uncharacteristic that we're saying, oh, you know, the world's messed up, like we're living in blissful ignorance. But in reality, I feel like it's, it's not something that people haven't acknowledged before. And I think we need to create a baseline where we're not looking at the world like it's a shitty place. Like all these different things, like, you know, mental health issues, physical issues, issues with relationships, stuff like that. It's all something that's happened before and it's something that'll happen again. I don't think it's something that, you know, makes the world an inherently bad place. I think it's just characteristic of the human experience, right? But my opinion definitely will differ from a lot of others. I suppose so. I also feel like you can live a happy life based on your lifestyle, the people in your life as an individualistic point of view, um, and then look at the world from a larger lens or from a bigger picture and see the issues with the world. Yeah. And be sad about it, but it's the individualistic experience that makes it quote-unquote happy. So despite the fact that we live in what some people would consider a shitty world is that we can still find happiness in our in the darkest of times. I'm pretty sure I just quoted Harry Potter there, but it's fine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I mean the Harry Potter quote's probably a good way to sum it up, right? Like I, I think everyone I, I, I think so. I think everyone So has, all sorry, all in all Oh, sorry, I was just going to ask, all in all, out of 10 rating of Inside by Bo Burnham from you. You don't want this. Why? What is it? Three? Four? What? What would you rank it? Um, probably like an eight. Okay, now let me ask you, what's your scale going by? Because scale is, I mean, if you're going zero to ten, five is average, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's I, I made just... an impact. I I have consistently listened to the soundtrack for a solid month now. So it's clearly made enough of an impact on me in my... Despite the lyrics being comedically depressing, it is al it has also given me, in a sense, uh, a, a, a finite amount of, enjoy like, of joy. So... It definitely left its mark on me, and even now, like, it was one of the first things that I recommended that you watch, right? So okay. it's, it's just, I, it, like I mentioned, I'm also just a fan of Bo Burnham in general. I feel like he is a person, um, he's very humble, he's very down-to-earth, um, and very different than what he presents himself on stage. So I think all of that combined, knowing who he is and the music that I continually listen to, um... Yeah, I'd say it's above average, for sure. I also think it comes down to, like, what you're a fan of, too. Like, I feel like a lot of people can derive a lot of meaning from that and therefore kind of relate to it and think, you know, this is a great thing. Or on the other side, you have kind of the, I guess, more literary analysis thing where it's like, oh, hey, you know, like, he combined, like, four or five different uh, kind of genres, added in, like, the whole, like, bottleneck type thing where there's only one room. Like, it's it's a first for a lot of things, right? Um, and to that, like, I yeah. think a lot of people like it based off of that. It just wasn't really my thing. I think you've got stuff where it's like, have you ever seen Sam Sora before? I have not. So it's literally like if you've gone into a Best Buy and looked at the TV screens and all the like 
you know, shifting images just to show off the TV itself. Yeah. It's pretty much an hour and a half of that in a movie. And for some people, they find an absurd amount of deeper meaning to that. But to me, it's like, why am I watching an hour and a half of, you know, fucking (laughs) Best Buy TV screens? Yeah. Is there any narration or anything? Or is it literally just... No, not at all. It's literally just... Yeah, that and huh. it's more it's it's got a deeper meaning because I mean you got like the environment of war torn countries and stuff like that as kind of a backdrop mm-hmm. to some of it. So you do have that. Just I don't know. It, I I think it depends on where you see yourself in it, right? Right. I see. So. That's interesting. I would have thought that you would have at least enjoyed it a little bit more, if anything, for the comedy. For just, like, some of the songs that are a little less politically charged. Like, like I mentioned, sexting or, like, FaceTime with my mom tonight was just yeah. kind of a light, funny, like, oh, this is kind of funny, haha, because I can relate to that because my mom does that too, you know? <laughs> For me, I think it would have been better if I saw those songs individually. Like, I thought the songs were hilarious. It just came down to, like, yeah, a whole movie, like, linking these together, that's too long for me, right? But I mean, I see. yeah, like I love the Wild West. I love the whole idea, like, you know, I'm gonna save the world through white comedy. Like, it's just the meta oh. <laughs> aspect of it. It's just fucking hilarious. And of yeah. course, the sock puppet song, right? That oh, was probably man. the peak. Was that the peak for you? That was like a quarter of the way through the whole special. Yeah, I thought that was the best song. I mean, you, you sit there and you have them talking about like all this nice shit. It's like, oh yeah, what about the genocide? What about this? It's like, oh, we don't talk about that. And it really yeah. illustrates what type of climate we have. <laughs> I suppose that's true. So I, fun fact, made, I was bored one day, so I made a list and I ranked all of the songs. Okay. Do you want to know what my favorite song was? Sure. Shit. <laughs> hmm? Shit, do you remember that song where he's like, he comes out, he's like, how are we all feeling tonight? Yeah, I am not feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh man, that was by far my favorite. Well, I'm, I'm just waiting for the sequel here, outside. The se- ah, ha, ha, ha. Hey, 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 post-COVID, you never know. Oh man, like, we're barely in post-COVID now. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're exactly in post-COVID right now, but we're getting there. And I mean, a lot of people do have anxiety towards that, right? Like, I think you yourself said you were feeling anxious a bit about getting out to whatever I, normal is, right? Yes, because, and I don't know if this is because now that I have studied microbiology and I know the risks and how prevalent pandemics actually are because if we think about it we've lived through as like in the last 20 or so years we've had about four pandemics we've had ebola we've had the swine flu we've had covid i can't remember what the last one is so sars sars was an uh epidemic actually was it an epidemic i think it i think so may have been an epidemic but um but they're just they're so prevalent now and it's just that's just an unfortunate result of the world that we currently live in for example you know we put a lot of focus on traveling but airplanes make wonderful petri dishes like that you have one person on a five-hour flight that is infected the entire plane will be infected by the time you land and it's just like and then from there, you have viruses that can travel across oceans. You can have a whole, like, with global warming, for example, 
we can see trends of mosquitoes that are coming higher up north, particularly in Canada, we can see that the mosquitoes that are carrying potentially deadly diseases are now making their way up towards <laughs> new geographical locations. Oh, yes. Because of And so as a result, like, there's just... I, to me, it's very... It's, it's paranoia-inducing, not to the extent in which I'm going to live my life inside and be like, oh, I'm never going outside, but... I, even in just what I've noticed from stage three, which opened on last Friday, so about, what, six days ago? Yeah. And to see the differences in that people are starting to not wear masks anymore in indoor spaces, and people are going to a bunch of patios, and I'm not discouraging that by any means, but it's almost as if we didn't learn anything. From the pandemic. In what way? Well, I mean, I... Honestly, I think that masks... They've become such a staple now. Like, I don't leave my house without my mask on. But I feel like that's something that we should also continue, even quote-unquote post-COVID. I feel like, you know, if you're sick, it should be common courtesy to wear a mask in public. But it's just not here i think if anything like you know you've seen it in more like asian countries like picking up on that trend so maybe we'll start picking right. up on it as well right and that's what i'm hoping for because that in and of itself would lessen the spread of diseases like it's very easy for us to be like oh i just have a cold like i'll still come into work i just have the sniffles but at the same time like you're putting everybody at the office at risk and it's yeah. not really something that we've ever had to think twice about just because that's just what it is. But now that we've had COVID and now that we've had time to see what the world is like with a pandemic and then to have everything open and for masks to stop being worn. I know that I, I, I live in an apartment building um, and I'd say that probably it's a 50-50 shot. As to if the person, if you're riding in an elevator with them, it's a 50-50 shot if they're going to be wearing a mask or not. Which, to me, just kind of blows my mind. Well, I mean, right now, they've pretty much taken out the uh, conditions, right? If you're double-vaxxed. Mind you, I know that's not everywhere, right? I'm honestly not too familiar with the policy, but they are allowed to go without a mask, right? They are, and I know that now that gyms are open they act they say that you know masks are required in change rooms are required when you're walking in hallways but you're also allowed to take them off when you're exercising yeah which kind of cancels out everything else that you've done because your germs are going to be everywhere so it's like it doesn't matter yeah it does seem like there's a little bit of inconsistency i think you're certainly right on that there there is and i just I, I don't know, like, I see all these large groups, and I see, you know, we can have social gatherings of up to 100 people now, but to me, just 100 people seems like such a large number now, <laughs> that it's just like, I don't know if I want to go do that anymore. Like, it's... it's So does it's that all... bridge more Sorry. on, like, I guess, like a social or germ-type concern? Like, having that 100 um, people? Is it both? Is it just the germs? It's, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, like, it's hard for me to picture a time in which I would just, like, go to a baseball game 
or I would simply like go to a bar and just <laughs> sit next to strangers and just dance next to strangers. Like it's it's a weird concept to think about. And I'm sure that this is just because we haven't done it in so long. I'm sure that eventually I'll get back into doing it. But I I don't know. Like it's just it's a weird I also feel like people that are double vaxxed I feel and I don't know if this is a hot take or not but I feel like people have rushed into social situations a little bit too quickly um, do you know what I mean and I, I do trust the science behind vaccines don't get me wrong obviously this is what I study obviously I do trust the science that they're putting out that being said I'd also like to see it in a decrease in numbers which we have seen before but for stage three I'd like to wait a couple of weeks before I start, you know, going to these 100 people gatherings to see that after stage three on whatever it was six days ago, that we don't see an increase in cases. I understand where you're coming from. I think it's, I think a lot of hesitancy comes from the way you've been, like our lives have been completely shifted because of the pandemic. Our new normal is completely like a 180 from what we had before, so... I can understand the hesitance. I think, I don't know. I, I, I've been pretty decent when it comes to the whole like social distancing thing, like not going out and stuff like that. But I think I, I can understand the wait for watching kind of approach. But I think in all reality, if the science says like, hey, you know what? You're double vaxxed and they're all like the rest are double vaxxed. I think it's certainly fine to jump into it. I think, you know what, there might be some downfalls. And I mean, they have shown that, you know, even if you are double vaxxed, you can still get COVID. But I think the major thing is that if you are getting COVID, at least from what I've seen so far, it's a lot minor than what it would have been before with, you know, risking death, risking like losing 50% of your lung capacity even. So I just think it comes down to, it's probably better to like slowly try and rip off the Band-Aid but I certainly think that those who are getting out there and doing it as they're currently doing it, yeah, they can do it. I see your point, and I know it does sound counterintuitive um, because I'm like, oh, yes, I completely trust the science, but I'd also like to see it for myself. But I feel like that's just also a me thing, just wanting to see results myself and just kind of... Because you can read anything. You can access any sort of information on the internet, But to me, it's just that added little security of me seeing firsthand that things are going to be okay and that the increase in cases won't come as a result. I think that's, you know, Val, and honestly, I I apply the same thing to, honestly, if you're Wayne, you you pretty much want to see the application, right? Before you rush and make a decision. So I've actually... I got, I've been double vaxxed as is already. I do advocate for people getting vaxxed. But if you ask me about my opinion on anti-vaxxers, I think obviously you've got the, you know, kind of crazy religious people and you've got people that say, oh, you know, it's <laughs> like a conspiracy for the 5G stuff. Like, right. I think that is completely over the top, like completely ridiculous. Oh, but I agree. I do think that there are people who are hesitant and they say, hey, I don't want to get this vaccine. It's just been developed now. We don't know the long-term effects of it. And for those people, I mean, I think you have a right to it. 
it's to be fair like yes. you know they've done a lot of research but you do not know what happens 10 years after you've taken it you don't know what happens you know two That's years true. after taking it right i i agree and i think it's good to have your own opinions on the science and to again kind of see the long-term effects that being said there's also research and evidence that says that any major effects from the vaccines will likely present itself to at least or before two months after your vaccine and then it's very unlikely for any other long-term effects to come about that being said even in a case of 10 years down the line having a long-term effect yeah to me the long-term effects and the risk of getting covid and the subsequent consequences of getting the actual disease are far worse and far more dangerous than the vaccine itself and whatever side effects that may bring yeah i you know what if it comes down to a cost-benefit analysis, like, you're totally, like, vaccine all the way. I just think it's interesting to draw the parallels because, I mean, you're saying, you know, I don't want to jump out and, you know, do all these restaurant-type things right now when we're in stage three, which is kind of waiting for those application results. And, I mean, you could really apply the same thing for those who don't want to get the vaccine because they haven't seen the application or results to that long-term degree. That, yes, but I'm also not waiting for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... Like, people in the U.S. have had their second doses for months now. Oh, yeah. And I really do feel like, I would hope that if there were any major effects, for example, AstraZeneca, that was a huge deal with the increase in blood clots, despite the risk only being about 1 in 100,000, which is not a very high risk. Like, people still made a large deal. It was recalled. There was absolutely no, like, there was very few people that were getting AstraZeneca. I would feel like something similar would happen if, in the United States, all of a sudden people started getting these effects post-vaccine, four, five months post-vaccine. So I feel like there is enough... Person, like this is just my personal opinion yeah. um, on on the subject, and I completely understand the want to do your own research and the hesitancy towards vaccines. Um, but I feel like it's there, like to me that would be enough evidence to say that any long term effects should like should have presented themselves by now. Oh, for sure, and. Like I said, if you run the cost-benefit analysis, it's more than worth it to take the vaccine. Honestly, everyone should be getting it. I just think it's interesting to bring light to stuff like that because, I mean, you got a lot of people who are very black and white about it. Like, if you don't want to get the vaccine, you're crazy. If you get the vaccine, you're, like, a god among men. But I think you've always got to consider, like, the gray in every area, right? (laughs) I 100% agree, and... Like, I agree with you in the sense that anybody who says that the vaccine is going to cause a microchip or whatever bullshit that's about, <laughs> like, like, that's just absurd. And like, yeah, I am going to judge you if you tell me that. That being said, I feel like people have a right to question the science behind it. And I quite frankly think that they should. So I definitely think that there is that gray area that is sometimes ignored that should be listened to and should be understood and we should be having discussions about it yeah um like respectful discussions both ways is that you're like people who are pro-vax 
tend to look at anti-vaxxers as a whole, and I'm not just talking about COVID, I'm just talk- I'm talking about just in general, just to be like, oh, like, you're crazy, like, that's insane, but they're, I, I feel like there's a lot of confusion on the side of somebody who's vaccine hesitant that yeah. can either needs to be clarified or they're just waiting to see, like you said, the long-term effects, which I feel are somewhat valid reasons in order to question the science behind it that being said i really do hope that people who are confused will get their vaccine eventually in the next coming months um just because of things like herd immunity for those that are immunocompromised that can't get the vaccine is that if you are an able-bodied person who can get the vaccine and who is able to get it that you are also not only doing yourself a favor by protecting yourself but also protecting those that don't have that privilege Oh, yeah. So, kids, get your vaccines. <laughs> yeah, moral of the story, get your vaccines. <laughs> now, are you, eventually. <laughs> are you scared socially to get back out there? Because I think that's also been one of the bigger, like you already touched on the germ aspect, but socially, I, I, I haven't felt this myself, but a lot of people have been saying, like, I don't know how I'm going to get out and interact with people. Like, I, it's been so long. Do you feel that same thing? No, sort of? I personally don't. Um, and I don't know if this is just because of the nature of my current job in which I'm like consistently on zoom, I'm consistently talking to people. Um, even during COVID when I was interviewing for jobs, I still had that, that aspect of professionalism and how I would handle myself. And so I don't think that socially I would struggle. It's... I it per, just personally I've just I am also just a very extroverted person so I just really like going out and talking to people so I've kind of just been excited to go and like interact with people and see the world again and, and get my energy battery reloaded if you will oh yeah um but I feel that I've had a sufficient amount of interactions with the people around me even during lockdown during stage one stage two that it doesn't really scare me that much to go out and interact with the world again. Yeah, and I, cer- I certainly think it's more of an extremist view in some ways too because I think most of us have been kind of setting up that narrative of once COVID's all over, like we're going back to normal, it's going to be great, or some people it's going to be completely awful. But in reality, I think it's going to be a little more of the middle. Like I was even thinking myself like, oh my gosh, when COVID's all over, I can go see my friends, I can do this, I can do that. But in reality, I mean, like, I've seen my friends throughout COVID and I don't feel like, you know, having kind of that mask and social distancing removed makes life, you know, that much better, right? Yeah, but why do you say that it would be more middle rather than taking steps towards going back to what we consider normal? Oh, I just see it as like, I don't think... I think a lot of people, myself included, saw the end of COVID as solving all their problems. But I think those problems that already existed before COVID will exist after COVID, at least to a large degree. And then for all those people thinking that, you know, there's going to be an onslaught of problems that are being released after COVID's finished, like, you know, socially and, you know, being anxious and all that, I don't think it'll be to a great degree that they speak of. Like, I think it'll be adjustment period, like maybe a couple weeks or even to like a couple months. But I think all these concerns that people have or all these, you know, benefits people see of COVID ending won't be to the large degree that we're all speaking of. 
Yeah, and it's also, I feel, that is a pretty black and white statement in and of itself, you know, when COVID ends. Yeah. Like, it's kind of been ending for the last couple of months. And kind of, as you mentioned, we've had this gradual, not just in the reopenings, but this gradual introduction back to societal norms and, like, social norms. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, the phrase, when COVID ends, some people might argue that once you're double vaxxed, like, COVID's ended for you. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, so, I, I like, thought the same thing, but I had an aunt actually came over last weekend. She was saying, like, yeah, like, you're all talking about COVID ending, but, you know, the under-12s haven't been vaxxed, like, you know, and they're not even planning on vaxxing them until, I think, like, 2022 at some point, so... There's a whole nother layer. Really? Yeah. What? Pfizer plans on like, don't quote me on this, but I think their tests are going to end by like September and they hope to have people start getting vaxxed in like January, February. Under their 12, tests for under 12. Yeah. I Like I, I said, see. don't quote me on the exact times, but I'm pretty sure right. that they said something like 2022. So if anything, there might be a diversion of society of like, you know, you have all these people vaxxed and then you have the group of like anti-vaxxers and under 12 who aren't vaxxed and kind of got to worry about it, right? That's true. I also have a question for you because they are talking about a fourth wave, quote unquote. Yeah. Do you, Are you nervous for that? Is that something that you're concerned about? From what I've heard it it almost seems like the fourth wave is mostly attacking those who haven't been vaccinated right yeah so i i almost see it in that kind of two tiers of society right like you have that inner circle of people who aren't vaxxed who will begin hit by a fourth wave but i think if you're double vaxxed i almost think you're out of that circle and it kind of sucks i mean it kind of divides into two classes right but Really, I mean, I'm pretty sure most people have, like, at least in North America here, there's a lot of access to vaccinations. So if you're not getting vaxxed, then sometimes, like, for some people, it's on them, right? So I I think there might be a fourth wave, but it's an avoidable fourth wave. Yes, but I, I also feel like a large portion of those, as we mentioned, are those that are a little vaccine hesitant or are waiting for the long term effects. Yeah. I'm wondering what the timeline is going to look like in regards to when they decide the vaccine is safe versus when the fourth wave comes. Because if they decide all of a sudden that like October is the time when they've seen enough evidence and they're ready to get vaxxed, I wonder when people will start making that transition and if that can almost prevent or lessen a fourth wave. Yeah, no, that's certainly something to consider. Uh, I can't say I've really thought too much about it, honestly. Interesting. Are you? Do you have a prediction of like when people would be like removing oh, their hesitancy, or you know, kind of the interaction effects, or something? So, I don't know enough of the research to give you a conclusion on that. I believe. Pfizer's safety reports and reports of back when they were doing human clinical trials before mass release of the vaccine, I think they are still continually doing tests on those subjects um, that are set to be released in December, Hmm. which is, to me, quite still quite a long time away. That's still, what, five, six months away. Um, 
But so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that around that time, if and when those reports come out and presuming that they're safe or that the long-term, the quote-unquote very long-term effects, the ones that are like one year post-vaccination, I hope that when those start to be released, more people will be able to make an informed decision. That being said, I also feel like that puts a lot of onus on the individual who is vaccine hesitant to do their own research. And I'm not entirely sure of how many people have done that or are willing to do that. Yeah, I think so, it's, I think it's something that's pretty much like completely up in the air right now. So we can only really right. see it when it unra- yeah, when it unravels itself. Right. I think yeah, I think so. I think it's just it's a lot of waiting. Um, I don't think though that the fourth wave is going to be lockdown requiring. I think more than anything, it might be a similar pattern to the seasonal flu because we've had pattern we've had waves of the seasonal flu for years. Oh, yeah. Now, that's a little bit different. The virology itself is a little bit different, and obviously we need a yearly vaccine more so than we just need one vaccine and done. But we see that every year, is that even if you have the flu vaccine, there are still people that are unvaccinated that cause that wave and cause that spread. So I feel like something similar might happen with COVID. If anything, I think it's a case of it will never fully end because we might need like booster shots and stuff like that. But I think we're at least over the hump. I think it's the best way of saying it. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. And I think only time will tell with the booster shots. And if we see in the next couple of years COVID cases rising again, that's how we'll potentially know and start thinking about a booster shot or just re-giving almost a third dose if we need to. Um, but I don't think that's something we need to worry about in the near future. So For sure. I think maybe it's probably time to uh, get into something a little less depressing then. <laughs> I know we've had two depressing topics in a row like this. You know what? No, I think the Bo Burnham thing was good. And you know what? It's always good to talk about COVID, but I feel like you definitely get to a point where it's like, damn, dude, we have like, uh, you almost want to erase COVID, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, but it's just kind of, this is what you hear in everyday life. Oh, yeah. You hear about COVID at least four times a day. <laughs> well, I mean, we also we also do hear a lot of Mars about Mars travel. And I mean, you have talked about, like, your thoughts and your ideas of going to Mars. Like, are, are you in favor I of have. that? So, are you talking about my hypothetical scenario in which 100 people can go to Mars? Or are you I just talking about first? what your thoughts are on like mars travel like would you go and then you know what we can dive into what we would do if we went would i personally go um if i could have like a week-long mars vacation (laughs) just you know i feel like i would do that more so than i would the extended period of time that i would need to get on the spaceship travel to mars live life on the spaceship get to Mars, sustain myself for however long, and then make the trip back. I could be potentially a multi-year trip. Okay, So, what if they offered you, like, a co-op on Mars? A co-op? Yeah, double term, maybe three term, including travel. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. It's interesting, because what role would I play 
do you think? Like what, what in your hypothetical scenario of would I go to Mars? Are we assuming that there is life established? Are we assuming, or are we like, is that my co-op is establishing a new society on a new planet? Yeah, I'm imagining you're like administrative assistant or something. <laughs> administrative assistant yeah. to Mars. Travel to Mars, administrative assistant. It'll be like, I'll be like Pam from the office. Exactly. Welcome to Mars. This is Emily. How can I help you? Honestly. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The Martian's busy right now. Can I take a message? Oh, my God. I have, if I'm being honest, I have no interest in going to Mars whatsoever. I don't, I don't really? even think the race to get to Mars is that interesting. Why? Because, okay, this might come out a little more in the hypothetical idea of, like, you know, what would you take to Mars? What would you do or whatever? But... I see the trip to Mars or the con bleh, what word am I looking for here? Colonization of Mars to be such a scary thing. Like just in regards to okay, we've fucked up Earth so much that we're gonna start going to Mars and trying to inhabit it. But everyone likes to think of, okay, yeah, we can just, you know, move our colony to Mars. But in reality, we're already so divided on Earth with our different, you know, social classes, like different political structures and stuff so what's it gonna be does elon musk and jeff bezos go to mars and dictate their own political agenda do we have a representative from russia a representative from india who all go up and make their own little parts of society on mars but this is also assuming that we're gonna be on mars for an extended period of time like why if i'm going for like four months for example Yes, potentially we will need somebody to lead, but I don't think it would get that politically charged or involved in a sense. I feel like if we were to be there long term and if we were to start thinking about relocating or repopulating, then I feel like it's a little bit more important from a political aspect, but I don't know if we would need that or it would be a necessity if we're just going and seeing what it's like for four months i mean it just seems like there's no if you're not gonna you know plan to like you know colonize and you know relocate is there really any point of going to mars besides you know shaking it a little and saying hey you know we can do this like it seems like a power trip in some ways like it's, <laughs> it's literally just to crisis. say i've gone to mars <laughs> i mean like that's still a relatively cool thing to say. Like, I don't think it's something subtle to be like, oh, yeah, I went to a whole other planet. I went and literally saw space in the universe. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's absolutely insane to think about. Okay, let's say let's say you could go to Mars, but you didn't have to jump on a spaceship. You didn't have to do all this. All you had to do was spend, like, three days crawling through, like, a person-wide tunnel. Would you do that? three days three days 72 hours of having to just crawl on your hands and knees through a tunnel why is that the scenario that i have to go through because i feel like there's no it's not like you're not sitting there going on a road trip to mars like you know road trips are kind of exciting and i mean you know they really fall off after a while but you know going to mars i feel like the journey there you know could be fun you know looking out but i feel like you'd get boring and it's like it's just tedious trying to get there and then when you get there it's like I don't know, kind of like going to Niagara Falls or something. It's like, cool, we've seen the falls. Let's go back. What? Right? 
I mean, there's what is just there so to much see on to Mars? do. Well, that's the point, is that you have to plan and you have to build what you want to do. It's like camping. Why do people go camping? There's no food there. There's no, like, you don't even have a full shelter, but you go. It's And uh, you, like, and you plan your day. I feel like it's something similar where you're Mars camping, but you're also Mars thinking camping? about... camping? <laughs> well, if you're going to stay there for four months, like, you're going to be busy. Like, you're going to be planning your food source. You're going to be planning where you're going to get your water from. So I feel like you're undermining how much there is to do on Mars. Do you know what I mean? But what you're just it, representing here is an extended survivor game. Yeah, and that doesn't sound exciting. I don't... I. To be fair, I'm not a fan of camping either, so... Oh, that's That probably well, has something to do with it, but I mean... Well, here's another thing that okay. I feel is important here, is the ambition that comes with your name if you were to go to Mars. Like, I know personally I'd like to make a name for myself in the academics in particular, but if I were to go to Mars and I would be one of the only people that would be able to or would, that'd be crazy. Like, that would be life-changing, like, earth-shattering. And to <laughs> me, that's kind of cool. Earth, ah, <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> you know what? Maybe someday you could be, like, Emily McKenzie, PhD, MT or something. MT that's Mark Dr. Traveler. Emily McKenzie. That's Dr. Emily McKenzie, PhD, MT to you. Fine. Uh, that's what we'll yeah. put for your uh, description then. Put some respect. On- no, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but like, would you not want? Perhaps, uh, perhaps fame is not the correct word there. But I suppose the recognition would that not motivate you to also go to Mars? Well, that just sounds like an e- egotistic thing. I think I I like to live life by experiences. So if you ask me, like. You know, would I want to do it for the experience? I think it's too much work. I love telling people, like, I've done background acting. I did it for, like, a month. And I went on a couple sets. It was a lot of fun. Like, I can say, hey, I've been in a Disney movie. That's something you can tell people. It's like a oh, cool type thing. I feel like if you went to Mars, there'd definitely be a lot more of the oh, cool and a lot more questions. But I just don't know what to say. Like, I go to Mars. It's like, oh, what do you see? Well, there's some rocks. You can float in space. Uh, we had to eat like you know fucking Kool Aid mix to survive. Yeah, but this is but also what are, what are like, you saying? But but this is also like you you're you're expecting to go to Mars on a vacation, as if that's all you're gonna do. But I really feel like there's a lot of work to be done if I'm going to Mars for four months, because we're also assuming that if I go to Mars tomorrow, for example, like there is no evidence of a main water source that's accessible to humans. Like, you'd need to find that. You'd need to build that. You'd need to build a society. And I feel like it requires a lot of, A, teamwork, and B, more than just looking out your space window and being like, okay. ah, Red Rock. Hey, 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 hey. You, you talked about building society, but I thought we were just going there for four months. Well, I <laughs> feel like we have two very different ideas of what we're going to do for four months. Okay, well, if we're going to go to Mars, we have to decide this now. Well, okay, listen. If there's a Mars and... Sorry, if it, there's a Mars? Are you, are you a no, Mars no, no, denier? No. <laughs> you didn't you let me finish. 
if there's a Mars and people find it and colonize it and build a Disney World, <laughs> then maybe it'll be a little bit more appealing to you, Nick. Okay, but okay, unfortunately, you know that's not the case, and I feel like if, there's a lot Disney's more. If Disney's going to inhabit done. it, it has to be called something different. We have Disney World, we have Disneyland, maybe uh, like Disney Space, Disney Dis- in Space, Disney, 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 eh, Disney, Disney atmosphere. Disney. Nah, I think Disney, Disney atmosphere. Space. Disney in space. Disney universe. Disney okay, in space. Like, there you go. Disney universe. What? Disney universe. That'd be kind of well. Okay, that's also assuming that the that's also pretty presumptuous to say that the milky way is the entire universe there's so many different cool things about the universe that i really feel like disney whatever on mars is not the coolest so perhaps not disney universe to if that's not an accurate representation of what the universe is and how cool it is so do you feel like okay if, if there's we have like a giant disney on mars and aliens come by and see it first of all do aliens exist and second of all how do they react to this giant like interesting what like so, 20 foot statue of mickey mouse of mickey mouse <laughs> so here's my official like even for earth my official hot take on aliens they absolutely do exist and i refuse to believe that anywhere in the universe, even anywhere in the Milky Way, there are no other forms of life or forms of organisms that exist. To say that Earth holds all life is probably incredibly inaccurate because the universe is infinitely large. And there's so much that we A, haven't discovered, and B, don't know about the universe that... I think it's a huge assumption to say that, like, aliens don't exist, period. That being said, I really feel like if aliens existed, or if the aliens were to see Earth (laughs) or Mars, they would not want anything to do with us. Why would they look down on us and see, as we kind of mentioned, going back to the shitty world, like, like, you know, maybe they'd probably study us from afar, Okay, but, but I don't think that they would make their presence known. What if what if we have like the idealist culture? How do you know that these aliens, which could be anything, could be blobs, could be other humans, how it could be an entire colony of Mickey Mouses and they're like, Oh my god, they're recognizing us. Oh my god. There's always god. that potential, right? There is always that potential, but <laughs> it just like like if there are aliens I I would either assume one of two things. Number one, they don't have the technology to communicate with us. Or number two, their technology is so vast and advanced that us on Earth with our little smartphones and laptops, like, we barely scratched the surface. Like, it just... I can't believe... Like, I can't imagine that Earth is the only planet, not only in the Milky Way, but just in general in the universe in which we are the only people or things or planet to hold a life form. Yeah. No, if that is the definition of an alien. I think if anything, it's just there's something else out there. I, I've come around to aliens in probably the last couple of years. I think it's probably not as extravagant as people come out to say it. Like, oh, yeah, there's going to be these like blobs with laser guns coming after us. But I oh, think, you no. know, to not think that, you know, there's other life 
around is probably a pretty egotistical perspective, right? Like, right. We're a speck of dust. We, we love to think that our lives hold so much importance, but reality states that we're not really as important as we think we are. Right. So I think we're not the center right. and I don't really know if there is really a true center. I think there's probably life in a lot of other places and, I don't know. Have you seen all those like UFO sightings that have been released by the military and stuff? Oh, don't even get me started. That's, they're always unidentified flying objects, which could literally be anything. Do you Is think it, you it's can aliens? Take a picture? No. No, you just. I really don't. Like foreign entities, more so. Like could be like. It literally know, could just spaceship. be a bird. Yeah. It could literally just be. Like, a, a block of light that hit the sky incorrectly. Like, there's so many things that it could be that I think it would be more so than it would be an alien. Yeah. No, you, you got a point there. I don't know. Because as, as I've mentioned, like, I don't think the aliens, if they are studying us, I don't think, like, I wouldn't want to know. Like, if I were an alien studying a bunch of people, I wouldn't want them to know. You know, like, and I would do everything in my power to hide myself. Would you, would you want to, I mean, at what point would you want to make your presence known? Or do you think it's just best to never? Well, coming from a scientific perspective, you should never reveal in order to have an unbiased experiment. If we truly are just the lab rats of aliens, then there is no purpose for them to reveal. Like, they're just kind of letting us do what we do. Yeah, but isn't that, like, what, what if they had a way to, like, cure cancer and stuff like that? Wouldn't it be very selfish on their part to not reveal themselves? Do you think there's nothing that could be gained by merging our two societies? I think there is something to be gained, but I feel like there's also, like, it, it just... I don't know. Like, it's just, I... I that's also assuming that the aliens... A, have a way to communicate with us, and B, also have the cure for cancer. Which, like, <laughs> is just, I don't know, to me, it's just, I don't think that's likely, or I don't know if they would reveal at all. Do you think there's a higher chance of there being a cure for cancer out there, or a higher chance of there being aliens? Aliens. A thousand percent. Wow. That's, uh... Just, I, I really hate to burst people's bubble but from an immunologist perspective a quote-unquote cure for cancer is such a complex term and such a complex thing to try to figure out that i really don't think an end-all cure for cancer is possible in our lifetime wow sorry Well, just, I, I thought we were trying to take it off of a depressing topic. Listen, this is my life. This is what I study. So if I have to deal with the depressing topic, so do you. You better have to face those kids then who ask oh, you for that cure. Man. Listen, that's fine. <laughs> if they want to go for it, if they want to try for a cure for cancer, that is absolutely, I feel cancer research is important. And I definitely think that small like cures for certain types of cancers are possible yeah that being said cancer as a whole because all cancer is is undivided cells or cells dividing at an un i'm I'm looking for the word here (laughs) i guess 
an unregulated way. Like a spur. There's so many different things that cause cancer that it's so difficult to pinpoint where and what cells because different types of cells can cause cancer. Like it's just like biologically, it's incredibly difficult. And I don't mean to be the pessimist here, but it's just it's it's a lot. It's much more complex than I think people realize. And I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. No, I can. I mean, no one really knows, right? So I think you've got a pretty. Well, do you think. So going back to this alien thing, because I know that you mentioned like, oh, maybe they have the cure for cancer. So what does your view of what is your view of aliens? Like, what do you think they would do if they saw Earth or knew that Earth existed? I think it would be something where we're best to stay away from them. Um, it's a scary thing because I read a, uh, are you familiar with Ray Bradbury? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I can't put my thumb on it. He's an old time horror author and he wrote, I think a series of stories about what it would be like, kind of more existentialist type stuff and like fear of the unknown. Yeah. So he wrote a story about how there's a group of like humans who like went out to, space or whatever ended up on mars and so when they got there they're like hey you know we're from earth can we like interview you guys like we 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 hope to find people and they just kept Mm -hmm. being pushed around like oh yeah you gotta go talk to this person and eventually they got given a key uh, to like a house or something and they were all excited like oh they see us as like gods and you know hey we'll uh get to live here and they find out that they've been put in a insane asylum because anyone who is like in their society <laughs> saying like, oh, I'm, I'm from Earth and stuff like that was seen as like a mental illness. So they were treated like they were insane. And I mean, you got to think. Wait a like, minute. It's... Wait a minute. You were the one that was giving me shit earlier about, oh, they might have the cure for cancer. And now you're saying that we should avoid them? Like what? I'm saying they might, but I still think it's, uh, it's a scary toss up. So you would sacrifice the potential cure for cancer excuse fear. me are you trying to twist my words here <laughs> no are you trying to get me a quote this saying is, that i would not exactly give what the cure I heard. for cancer <laughs> would you <laughs> hold the cure for cancer for the american people no. do you have the cure for cancer yes or no <laughs> uh no maybe i don't know do maybe I? maybe i don't know you know what the cure for cancer is at its basis information right so technically any one of us could hold the key for cancer within our thoughts. We just don't know who has that key or if that key even exists, right? That is so deep. But so philosophical. If we're concerned the idea of aliens coming through having that cure for cancer, I think you need more information first. What is the alien race like? Are they wanting to dominate us? Are they wanting to like have a mutual exchange of like, well, you guys need the formula to uh I don't know, like Coca-Cola or something? The secret formula to cancer. (laughs) Dude, imagine like they could only get like Nickelodeon as a TV channel and they like come by and they're like, we want to see this Krabby Patty. Give us your best Krabby Patty. Oh my God. See, that could, oh, that would be so fucking hilarious. Like all the different ways, like the interactions could just be messed up and stuff. Like yeah. aliens get addicted to TikTok and they're like, ah, show us this like oh, Charlie D'Amelio man. or something or Oh my oh, god. 
It's funny, though, that you think that the aliens would, that we would have control over the aliens. Because I would think the opposite. I would think that it would be the aliens that are the ones that are dictating the conversations and how the interactions between the aliens and Earth would go. So it's interesting that you think the opposite. Well, I think it, no, I I think they totally, that's, I I don't think we control it at all. I just think it comes down to what they're like, right? I mean, if whoever contacts who first obviously has that power, right? Because they've shown that they have the potential to actually interact with you, therefore making them kind of the dominant superpower in that regard, right? Right. So if, if you have someone reaching out, like if you sat there woke up in the middle of the night and there was like a ghost girl in the corner of your room interacting with you you're not gonna think like hey i have all this power motherfucker like you're gonna think (laughs) like who the fuck is this ghost girl how is she here and then she like vanishes it's like you're gonna be scared shitless oh hell yeah oh love that i yeah so i mean if if something pops up that you don't i mean everyone's afraid of the unknown but i think in scenarios like that it's just you can't account for anything and therefore you need to treat it super cautiously right i see well do you have a different stance on that no i definitely don't and now i'm kind of freaked out that there's going to be a ghost girl in my room tonight (laughs) so you also believe in ghosts then I don't believe in ghosts, but on oh, the odd... Oh, no, no, no. You can't give me that odd, shit. No, 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 no. Everyone I talk to... do exist... Oh, stop. Hear me out, 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 hear me out. Okay. On the odd chance that they do exist, oh. I need to be on their good sides, okay? See, this is so <laughs> fucking stupid, because every time I talk to people, it's like, hey... No, okay, this is not every time I talk to people, but the people who I've asked to do a Ouija board with, they've been like... I would, no. but on the off chance that they actually do exist, I really don't want my house to be haunted. So that's it's fair. Like, but you're, I think you're that's still a valid the same. Point. You're still the same people saying that they don't exist, but you're still cautious enough to say that they might exist. Therefore, yeah. it's super hypocritical. Okay, and I'm just like, trying to get like equal ghost representation here. Equal, I, do you have some ghost friends? No, I'd, I've never had a ghost experience. I just believe in ghosts, and I think life is a lot more fun when you do. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's more fun. I think it's terrifying. Uh, terrifying, yeah, but I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a huge horror movie lover, so that's probably where it comes from. I mean, yes, but that's that. Like, that's what I'm saying is like, you know, I, I know, like, logically I can think that there are no ghosts, but just in case there are like i just don't i'm not taking that risk it's just like didn't you ever watch scooby-doo it's always some dude trying to protect his property rights okay well like what are you doing on my property rights what are you doing on my property i have the right excuse me do you own property uh i do not though (laughs) so you shouldn't have any concerns then well, you see, if it's showing up in my room specifically, rather than some random room in the building, I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. Actually, when I was, uh, so some preference for, pre- eh, to preface for people who don't know, I actually did Dawn uh, about a year ago before COVID hit. So if you're not familiar, that's basically- Hey, Nick, yeah. what's a Dawn for those of you who don't know? What do you think I'm explaining? <laughs> Uh, oh, I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the best way of saying that basically a Don is someone who, who looks after the kids in residence, ensures you have a nice, safe residence community where kids aren't, you know, drinking and, you know, 
sitting there and you know ruining their lives and stuff and you know ensuring oh my goodness everyone gets their needs met right so it's also i i for me because i was i was also a don that's how nick and i met was like being a don is also supporting your students in a sense like i i know i took more of a perhaps i took more of a role in this than you did nick and it's a personal preference but i also was a support resource for my students and i was also if they had any financial issues or any mental issues they could come to me and i could support them as best i can um that kind of gets into the a bit of the gray area of donning because not everybody wants or not not everybody has those types of boundaries and it changes depending on the dawn uh but that was also kind of my role as well yeah i think it it's multifaceted right i mean yeah you can you really get out of the job what you put in like i don't know you you run events you sit there and you make sure like the mental health is uh you know not kept in check but just kind of make general process progress like we had a lot of uh like you and i both we had a lot of meetings where students would come in and check in just how are you doing this semester like you know homesickness is something that really needs to be considered a lot right and just mm-hmm. among other things so you know you have some dons who just kind of run their events and keep it at that some who kind of act as more of a mentor and I guess some who also kind of take it a step further, right? And just, you know, help them with their classes, help them, you know, in other domains of their life, right? So. Right. It all kind of. And like like I said, it, it kind of just depends on, like, I like yeah, Nick, you're right in the sense of it's, you you get what you put, essentially, is that like if, it depends on the time commitment, because I feel like depending on how, or small your boundaries are the time commitment changes for donning like you could have anywhere from probably about maybe five hours a week to anywhere to like up to 25 hours a week depending on what you consider quote-unquote donning or working because it is a 24-hour job you're living in residence with your kids so like i i know personally like i had kids that would just come into my room and hang out and would just kind of chill with me which some people might consider working, but to me it was just kind of natural because my boundaries were what they were. And so my kids would just come in and they would come talk to me and they would just come hang out with me. Um, but those were technically quote unquote working hours, just didn't feel that way to me. But it is what you make of it. Oh, for sure. And I think it, it begs an interesting question because I mean, there's so many roles you can take on as we spoke about before, but you also have to kind of manage that role of, you know, being their friend, but also you are their Don, right? So that does create some issues with some students, right? Right. And I mean, for me, it was the type of thing where it's like, you know, you, we, you know, you come over, you know, we joke or whatever, and, you know, we run this event, but, you know, if I catch you in the hall, you know, something you're not supposed to have, then I do have to write you up. And I think that that right. dynamic is, it's, it's very hard to... I don't know. I don't know about you, but I found it hard to navigate because just in regards to you treat students like, you know, hey, you know what, like in some ways we're friends, but, you know, you you do, there's that thing in the back of your head that's like, hey, you know what, like, just so you know, like if I do catch you with something like this or, you know, there's this issue that gets brought up, then I do have to address it professionally, right? And for some students, like, you know, they can act very, like I had some students who, you know, were great up until the point where it's like, yeah, you know what, uh, I have to write you up for this. And then after that, they're a little more on the stone cold side, right? <laughs> right. Um, 
Yeah, it's. I feel like there's a couple of aspects from that standpoint. It, I feel, depends a lot on how you start donning. Is that I took a very starting off approach of like, these are the rules and I will write you up for this. Like, I don't want to. And I think that's a big misconception with Dawns is that like, we're not trying to get you in trouble. Oh, yeah. But if we see this, like, we don't have a choice. It's our job. So, like, we're not trying to police anybody, but we do have to enforce the rules. And that's a very, very fine line to walk on that I don't think a whole ton of students know of. Um, but I had kind of come into my residence community with the expect, like, and everybody knew this, is that I took a very strict approach in which I laid down the ground rules and basically said, like, you are not to drink in common areas, especially if you are underage. And if I do catch you this, I will have to write you up. And then eventually, slowly started to le not lessen the rules, but start to become more of their friend, more so than a person, more than their superior. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like there's a large there's a large thing to talk about because it also depends on your students i got incredibly lucky with my students in which a lot of them didn't break a whole ton of rules and i didn't have to enforce my position of power a whole ton because my my students were good at following the rules is that they never got in trouble or not that i have ever caught them so, as a result, it was almost easy, in a sense, to become their friend as the terms went on. But that's also my incredible luck, you know? Like, yeah. I, like, it's, you, like, it's really up in the air what kind of students you get, how they interact with each other, how they interact with their environment. Mine just so happened to, like, be not people who want to cause trouble, but I do remember some Dons who had a large issue with their students of just consistently breaking rules, oh, and yeah. that's just the nature of the students. So there's a little bit of a luck aspect to that as well. I think it's always a coin toss, right? Like, I set some pretty strict rules right at the start, and mm -hmm. thankfully I didn't have a lot of my own students breaking rules, but there were definitely, like, there was one time where I walked into the lounge, like, I think second day, and there's a kid with a vodka bottle, and it was like, hey, you know what? I've Ooh. got to write you up. Uh, you're not allowed to do this. And it created a lot of tension whenever I saw him. Did like, you make, on. out of curiosity, did you make the student dump the vodka? Uh, I did not. Okay. All right. Because that's fair. I feel like that, I feel like that would have just been like, the, like, that's a little bit like a full bottle of vodka that's just a little personally over the top but again this is very subjective well i went by the reservation of if it was open then you dump it if it was closed you don't because i'm pretty sure that was the right. training rules that we went yeah by. right so yeah i mean if it had been open then yeah that's the rules you gotta dump it right but considering it was like still in the packaging and everything it was the case where right yeah you know what like I have to write you up, but you don't have to dump it in this case. But it does have to go Just away. Just like get right? rid of it, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, 
it's pretty much just those situations where it's like, you know, you want to act nice, but in reality, it's, hey, you know what, like, you're in violation of your contract, right? And I think it, like you said, it really depends on what, you know, like, what your students are like, because my students were generally okay, but they weren't really interactive, like, they didn't really come out to mm-hmm. events and stuff, And but on the other side, you know, we had Dons and our residents who, they had, like, 40 students pop up to their events, so. Right. Right. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very up in the air situation. Like it, it obviously depends on your students. I also feel like it's also, it's the responsibility of the Dawn to adapt to whatever situation you end up getting. Like it just, like, I feel like if you were to come in with a one set mind of like, this is how I'm going to run my floor. It's, not likely not going to work out how you think it's going to oh no so it is yeah it is a little bit of luck but it's also adaptability and flexibility on the dawn's part and knowing what your boundaries are how you want to deal with situations what kind of things you want to be open to your students about and like what kind of you want your role to be as a superior but also a resource yeah, and I think the adaptability part, like you said, is key because, like I said, there were students who weren't very interactive, but towards the end of the semester, we did a lot more of the uh, kind of like DoorDash type stuff where it's like, you know, hey, if you want, like we can order stuff and kind of yeah. deliver it to the door type thing. I mean, with COVID, it also benefited more to do like more of those types of events rather than like in person. So right. that, that worked well with people who weren't particularly interacted, and that was actually recommended to me. Uh, like. I, a couple of other dons were saying like, yeah, you know, I bake cookies and deliver them and stuff. And for sweet styles where, you know, you get a lot less interaction because it's less, you know, open door type stuff like that has mm-hmm. been fantastic for them. So, yeah, yeah I think it's sure. all about the adaptability, right? Yeah, I think so. It's, um, it's definitely a very unique position for a part-time job. I'd consider it a part-time job, but like it's a very difficult thing to do that I don't think a lot of people either know about or appreciate enough. Yeah. Is that like it in and of itself, like just the social aspect of it being that resource. Um, and then also on top of whatever you as the Dawn are dealing with, whether that's your own struggles or academically, um, there's just, there's a lot of moving components, um, that are just, sometimes overlooked or just things that I didn't even consider when I was in first year living in residence. Like I had no idea that that's what my Don did. Oh yeah. So I I I don't know. You know, I I think that raises an interesting question. Like you don't really know what encompasses it all. And I I take it. You've had people ask you like, should I become a Don and stuff like that? Right. So fun fact, none of my students wanted to become Dons at all. None. I was so sad. I'll never be a grand dawn. Well, I did have a student who got in, and I think the wow. the greatest thing to take away from that is just it's there are definitely standards to the position. Like you know, if you do it, you will be, like at at our university, you will be doing those twice a term check ins. You will be running a certain amount of events per month, and you will be sitting there and you know doing your duty rounds, right? But everything else really comes down to the students, like what type of stuff you do, how you interact with the students. Like 
just everything. It's it's very hard to say like this is your job because it varies with every group. It it does, and it's it, like it, it's the job itself is the same in the responsibilities, and yet so drastically different for some people. Like I know. Like, I had a very easy, or what I consider to be easy group of students. Like, I loved spending time with them. They were always following the rules. But I also know some Dons that is just, like, they were doing write-ups every single night. And they were um, dealing with problems every night that just, like, it, like, very heavy situations, like, involving the police and whatnot. But I, like, it just, it honestly is just kind of, it's, it's a different experience, not only depending on what residence you end up being in, but also just the personalities of your students and how they interact, like I said, with each other and with their environment. Yeah. So would you, would you almost have, like, a person you think would be ideal for the position? I know this sounds like an interview question, but I do like it to... It does. If we do discuss something like this, I think it's always good to say, like, hey, if you're interested in this type of thing, like... For sure. So... Um, I think if you, I think there is a very specific personality type because you've got to remember that you're basically living back in residence, which means you have 50 roommates. Like you are back to living a very social lifestyle. And I'm not saying that introverts can't be dons by any means, but just be prepared for that social aspect of it. And just like seeing people in the hallways and saying hi and being that kind of open face that people are expecting from you as a Dawn. I also think one of the things that is not as talked about, despite any personality, whatever you have, is that you need to have a thick skin. Like you honestly, it's just one of those things that's like either you can develop it or you just have it no matter what it is. But some of your students, depending on, again, on your boundaries, but some of them might come up to you with very, very heavy topics. Um, having to do with things like financial issues, mental illness. And if you are offering yourself as that resource, like, it, it, I'm, it, it's definitely okay to take a step back and deal with your own issues and deal with your primary problems first and then come back to the students. But as that resource for students, there is a certain degree to which you've got to be prepared for that. Yeah. And like it's 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 a difficult thing to learn to do to separate yourself from other people's issues, but it's something that I feel is important for the job and will save you a lot of stress and a lot of worry. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think the only thing I would add on to what you said actually like you, you did emphasize like the personality aspects and mm -hmm. having a thick skin. I think really one of the big things to add too is when you're donning, you can try and schedule a lot of stuff, but you really do learn to become flexible. I do think flexibility is a huge part of the job going into it. Like if you think you're going to run like a specific schedule, then prepare to like be disappointed because like you said students can come up to you at any time with like you know concerns and stuff mind you it might be the type mm -hmm. of thing where you know you say hey i've got enough stuff to do tonight like can we address this tomorrow if it's not as severe but i mean there are times where your schedule just gets thrown out of whack what you think is one like yeah. you know hour duty round turns into like a four hour uh write-up and you know requiring like police intervention or medical intervention like 
you just never know what's going to happen. So, for sure. And yeah, I think you bring up a good point, um, Nick. Is that like we're this is also we're making it sound as if like you're working nonstop. Like that's definitely <laughs> not the case no, whatsoever. You you do live in residence, like. But that being said, like you don't you typically don't work nights. Like there's about one one night a month that you're on call. Yeah. Um, but it's it it is and isn't a twenty four hour job. Again, depending on how you want to run your community. Um, but like it, students are also very understanding if you're like, hey, I have a midterm tomorrow. Can we please address this in the next couple of days? Like typically they're going to be very understanding about it. I don't think I've ever had like an incident where a student has been like, no, like you need to talk to me right now about this. Like they're, they're students too. And they understand that you're also a human and a student. So it's like, it's not as if you're going to be like slaving away <laughs> at your students for the next eight months. Like that's not the case at all. But yeah, I think the flexibility aspect of it is also pretty important. Yeah. It's not to say it's a bad thing. Like, honestly, I've loved the experience I had with donning. I know you're going to be redonning again in fall term and Absolutely. I plan on going back uh, next year if I have the option. So it's, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. job. It really, you know, matures you, it, you know, yeah. There's a social aspect to it. There's a huge team aspect. Like it's, there's a lot of fantastic aspects to the position. And honestly, it's, I don't think an experience you can really replicate. So really. No, it's, yeah, yeah. it's definitely one of the most rewarding experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, Because I had students come up to me and they said some really, really kind things about how I helped them through first year. And it's just like to see your students grow, I feel is one of the most rewarding things to see as a dawn and one of the most like it, it it warms my heart to see a student that was struggling in first semester come back in second semester and live their very best life like it's just it's so satisfying and lovely to see yeah it's not something you can replicate anywhere else either so um, yeah no i like anyone who is interested i would definitely advocate for trying it out like applying and maybe by the end of like the first second semester whatever you find it's not for you but trying it out you'll definitely get stuff that you will miss out on anywhere else i think yeah for sure i think the uh, the last thing i want to touch on is you got a tattoo this year right (laughs) (laughs) i said i was gonna bring this up i did Okay, and uh, I did. You you spent a lot of time and consideration thinking what to get. I oh, mean, didn't you? Wasn't this like a kind of a childhood uh, design that oh, you had in mind, perfected man. over the years? <laughs> All right, I feel I should I should I should uh, preface this by saying Give that this context. is my third. This is my third tattoo. I have gotten tattoos before that do have sentimental value to me, and I have actually planned them for months. But this particular tattoo, I got the idea to get the tattoo, went to the tattoo parlor, booked my appointment, got the tattoo, and paid for it all within about six hours. So where'd the inspiration (laughs) from the tattoo come from? And what was the tattoo? I mean, for all the viewers know, you got like a snake bite or you got Donald Trump wearing a bikini. Oh, that's exactly what I got, actually, is, like, that's exactly it. No, I was in a market. I was in a farmer's market, and I saw a sticker that I really liked, and it was 25 cents, and I bought the sticker, and then I went, this is a cool thing to tattoo on me, 
And for those of you wondering, it's uh, like a floral hourglass in a sense. Um, I think it's a really cool design. Uh, no, it does not have any meaning behind it, nor does it have any like value, like like sentimental value to me. It's just honestly, I thought that it was cool and I liked it. So hey, you know what? I I totally support shit like that. It's just for me, like I've always wanted a tattoo, but I've just always thought like anything that I could love at this moment. I don't know if I'd want it on my arm in eighty years, right? Well, yeah, but that's always the whole thing is like, it's a, like, people think the tattoos are a super huge deal, but they're, they're not really. Like, what, like, why do you, like, and I know that this is a very common thing and this is not, like, I have sentimental value tattoos, but why do you think that you put so much emphasis on getting a tattoo with meaning? Because I think it's, uh, first of all, it's very permanent. (laughs) laser removal surgery is painful as hell wait you're telling me that tattoos are permanent whoa wait yeah no i'm, I'm definitely uh, joking, wait. <laughs> definitely wait, how, do you, joking. How, do, how do you get your tattoo did you uh needle it on oh. or did you like use a wet wash, washcloth or yeah that's actually what happened is that ah. it just kind of just stayed there forever yeah you was know. that i just assumed that it would wash off after a week but it's been like four months and it's still there yeah, so. that's a that's Pretty a farmer's cool market quality. tattoo for you don't get don't yeah. get your tattoos at farmer's markets <laughs> oh yeah no just get the stickers just get the designs from there <laughs> but i mean I, th- I think you raise a good point with like uh, but shouldn't it have meaning like i mean if you sit there and you're like man i would love to get like a tattoo of tweety on my ass like yeah sure that oh, doesn't really man. mean much but 20 years down it's the line funny. do you really want tweety on your ass Listen, here's my next tattoo idea, and I'm dead serious about this, all right? I'm going to put the letters P-O-T-A on my big toe. What? And then it's going to be... And then it's going to be my potato. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um... So don't tell me what's sentimental or not. Well, that's I feel not, like that's that's not sentimental. That's, that's literally like putting your personality on the forefront. That's freaking hilarious. If someone gets that, it really tells you a lot about the person. <laughs> like, come on. That's kind of funny. Oh, it's but hilarious. I don't know. I think that, like, yes, for my first couple of tattoos, like, both of my first ones had a lot of sentimental value to me and mean something and are symbolic of something so i feel like for people that have never gotten a tattoo before it's really important but then by my third one like it was just kind of something that was like oh i like it so i'm you know no obviously there's a financial decision to be made as well like getting a tattoo is not cheap no but like as far as the value goes like it's it was one of the first spontaneous things that i did for myself in my life and it felt and that in of it in in and of itself felt really nice and i like it and i think it looks dope and i absolutely 100 percent do not regret it and i love it honestly i wish i could have that i've been for the past like year i've been thinking maybe i'll get a tattoo based off do of it. like fighting chronic pain or something since i dealt with it do for it. the past like four or five years but uh do it Nick. do it go get the what, tattoo what am i do gonna, it. gonna get what am i do gonna it. get um, it doesn't matter. You know Get what? Get tweeting on your ass. If that's what you want. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think I'll go with uh, kind of a inspired by you. I'll just get a random family tattooed on my arm. <laughs> oh, love that. Yeah, fun <laughs> fact, guys. So that profile picture that I have, 
<laughs> that's not me. <laughs> just, I just thought it was really funny that like there's just people on the internet who just have their photos used. So I just, <laughs> just so I was just gonna have like a photo of a family that's not mine and just have that as my profile, just because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> For the audio listener, love you to death. Uh, that's our overlay right now. So right now she's a little big brained, but that was the previous idea. Uh, yes. Then I decided on the big brain. Better representation, I think. I appreciate that. And I'm also going to get that tattooed on my body and it's going to say your, it's going to say Nick Graves on it. What is the most, re- oh my gosh, I will pay for your tattoo if you get the graves cast, if you get the link to the graves cast on there. <laughs> Oh my god, can I get you to put a QR code on there? Absolutely not. <laughs> I will pay you That's some free dollars. advertising. Oh You're going to pay me $1,000? Yeah, and then you can go to the bar and you can be like, hey, scan this QR code. Listen to the Gravecast. Uh, that's kind of tempting. I'm not going to lie to you. And I'm going to nip that idea in the butt before I consider it further. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there are people out there who they will get like Walmart tattooed to their forehead for like, I think three grand or something they got paid. Okay. Three grand on the forehead is a little bit much. Yeah. I feel like if I were to put the Graves cast on like, I don't know, like my, I, I don't know, maybe my show, maybe I'll get it as a tramp stamp. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it's kind of hidden. I don't really need to look at it, but it's there. Okay. But can the <laughs> QR code be a direct link to your episode then? Oh, of course. What else would it be? I don't know, but love that. Well, I think we come up with your next tattoo idea. What am I gonna get though? Um, if you were my tattoo designer, what best represents me? What should I get tattooed on me? I would just do a really, really shitty drawing of a ghost, like what? a stick person ghost. Yeah. Just, oh my god. You know, just because like you know you're you know it goes with the theme of you know Nick Graves and then you're also a huge horror fan but then also you know it's done really poorly and that's the joke is that like you paid me hundreds of dollars to give you this wonderful tattoo and it ended up looking like shit <laughs> so okay, okay that's what I do if I, if I were to do that though I'd definitely have to have a caption below it where it's like this is what's left of your stick figure family <laughs> oh Dude, have oh you ever seen God. those on cars? Like, have you ever seen, like, the meta ones on cars where it's, like, you see, like, Jason Voorhees chasing the stick figure family or something? Oh, my goodness. Those that's are okay. that's actually kind hilarious. Of funny. I love it. That's kind of funny. It's, but, it's just, yeah. It's so satirical, like, seeing, you know, I, I, you know what? It was nice to see those, like, photos or, like, the bumper stickers where it's, like, here's my stick figure family. But just seeing those, like, like go against it is so funny to me. Oh, man. Oh, but that's... Okay, that's kind of just... That's a very suburban thing to do, is those little stick... Like, the stick... like, things, like, the little stickers on the back of the car and stuff. Okay, well, it's better than the, uh... What? The truck testicles? Or whatever it is? Oh, my goodness! (laughs) Conveniently, this is the second time that I have talked about this today! (laughs) Truck testicles? Yeah! (laughs) I talked about that this morning, too! (laughs) So it's like a huge part of your life, or I know I don't know. That's so weird that I've never heard of them before. That they both you've never heard of them. You've never seen them. No, I looked them up for the first time this morning, and I think that they're so dumb, and I hate them. Oh, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's just what are they called? I'm gonna look at. I'm gonna look back at what it's called because they're. It's like it's a very. It's a fun name. I think it's best to be called truck nuts. Truck nuts. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say called. trunk testes, but that's actually way better. <laughs> but that's so strange that it came up two times in one day. Oh my god. <laughs> Anywho. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a uh, that's a good ending point then. Uh, oh yeah, I love I love ending a podcast on truck nuts (laughs) yeah just so if you guys are thinking of you know donning we'd recommend getting into it if you're you know thinking again a pair of truck nuts for your truck don't do it we do not this this is two people telling you not to do it so don't do it don't no i don't do it but if you want to get a tattoo or you're considering getting a tattoo go get that tattoo that is one person we would advocate for the graves cast qr code as your first tattoo well one of us would (laughs) so. <laughs> that's yeah yeah anyways sure. thank you very much for joining us uh i really do appreciate you coming on i think we've had some good conversation here oh for sure thanks for having me this is so much fun is there anything you'd like to plug you know maybe put out your resume there for people hiring a microbiology oh, major or you know if you, you ever need um, a camp advisor if you ever need somebody to run your stem programs let me know uh wear your masks get your vaccines um be nice to people and watch bo burnham's comedy special inside uh not don't listen to nick's review it's actually quite good just <laughs> hey you know mine. what i said it would probably be liked by other people just not by me so that's fair well that's you, that's my plug would you would you like to shout anyone out you know shout outs to mom uh, shout outs to Shout out upstairs. to Truck Nuts, man. Shout, Shout out, out to, to Truck, truck nuts. nuts. And the uh, and the ghost girl that's going to haunt me probably in my room tonight. Oh, yeah. Sure. I forgot Shout to mention, to but I, I had a lot of, like, shitty dreams when I was, like, dawning. So I had Ooh. a couple times where I woke up and I had, like, hypnagogic hallucinations where oh, I, like, saw Michael that's... Myers in the corner of my room or, like, a ghost like girl Myers? in the window. No. Yeah, because I watched Halloween the night before. And holy oh shit, like, God. that just scares the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. But, uh, no, that's that's about it. Uh, shout out to the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. Love you. Love that. Right. And uh, shout out to you, Nick, for letting me come on your podcast and banter with you for two hours. Well, thank you very much. Uh, if you are interested in listening to the Gravescast after the show, you can go to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you really listen to your podcast, just Gravescast. Uh, if you want to leave a voicemail, you can go to anchor.fm slash Gravescast, leave a voicemail there. If you prefer send an email, you can send an email to thenfgraves at gmail.com. Uh, just put in the subject line Gravescast. And if you got any recommendations for advice, uh, you want advice, any guests you want on, just be sure to put that there. And uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. So thanks for joining us and viva la truck nuts. <laughs> oh, later. God. Bye. Have a good night, guys. <laughs> <laughs>